Hi, it's Paul. Hi, it's Damo. And it's time for the PD Sports Podcast. With Damo and Paul. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 44 of the PD Sports Podcast. Hopefully, you are doing well. And with me once again is Damo. Damo, how you going, mate? Not bad, mate. Not bad at all. It's been another massive weekend of sport. So many talking points across so many different sports. We've got F1, Premier League, Cabaret Cup, uh, all sorts of stuff on today's pod. I cannot wait to get into this, mate. Yeah, I think no mucking about today. Straight in. I think we'll knock over the, the big game for us. First Carabao Cup final, League Cup final for the traditionalist Liverpool-Chelsea at Wembley. Big opportunity for Klopp to win his first domestic title for Liverpool, which is kind of scary. Like, we haven't won a domestic cup since, yeah. what, 2011 Carabao Cup? Yeah. Yeah, jeez. It's been a while between drinks. Um, Klopp, 2012, sorry. Klopp historically loses two before he wins one, so that fills me with a bit more confidence because I think this is his third final now yeah. for us yeah. domestically. Yeah, um, one of so each. So probably means that we finally tick it off. Um I don't want to go into this game with too much confidence, but I definitely feel like we're in a good spot to win this game. Um, saying that though, Chelsea may be on a high from the you know the Club World Cup, and they're definitely a good side, and they're definitely going to cause us problems. But um, I'm not going to get up to watch it because it's three thirty in the morning. It's yeah. kick off. Me and you both got work, so it's difficult. Definitely going to be watching um, a delayed being sport. Wake up at six thirty in the morning, unless it's got an extra time, of course, and then pens. I'll probably watch that live, but. Um, I'm always half expecting us to win this in 90. But yeah, it's definitely ours to lose. I'm too confident in that either. You know, I don't want to be like, oh, yeah, just rubbish Chelsea off. Yeah, the form we're in, though, um, you know, since pretty much the players left for AFCON, we've not missed a beat at all. The squad's been shaken up a bit. Obviously, Diaz has come in too. But we just look like we haven't stopped, which has been fantastic. It's probably the best period really, since we won the title um, and went on that run um, to get 25 points clear of Man City. So in my eyes, I, I don't see... I mean, Chelsea's always tough. Like We've played them twice this season already and drawn both um, in very different circumstanced games uh, where there's been lots of drama. So don't expect it to be a boring cup final. It might be low scoring, but there's definitely going to be a lot of action, I think. So if you are getting up, good luck uh, trying to stay alert tomorrow. But you know, for me, I'd like to think, you know, 2-1 is probably a scoreline that I'd see. That's probably the most realistic coming out of this game. What do you reckon? Yeah, I reckon that's about right. I reckon both teams will find a goal because they've got quality. Uh, and saying that, though, the two teams that like to cancel each other out a lot, like you look at that first game at Anfield, Chelsea went out of 10 men, became very pragmatic because of that. And even then, they still created a chance or two because of the hold-up player Lukaku that day. Um, but... You know, yet again, it was a game that you felt like Liverpool probably should have won in the circumstance. Didn't second game was just crazy. Um, so you was know, that two all? Yeah, two all. And I think it was Kelly made a massive save. Mendy That's made right. a big saves on the day um, yep. as well. Uh, I, I just I want to say I'm confident, but how confident can you be in a cup final when you're playing one of the bigger teams in the league? Well, you can't be as confident as you want to be, but I'm quietly confident. And I'm saying that on a podcast, so there you go. Yeah, um, I'm in the same boat. Two ones probably about right. I would love to think we do it in 90. I think if this game goes extra time, Chelsea, I think, wouldn't mind that. I think they would prefer drawing the game out longer and longer. Um, for me, it's that first goal. If we score the first goal, we win this. Yeah, I think with the form that we're in um, and the goals that we've been scoring in the last few games as well, I th- I'd like to think if we can get a lead then it's out to the taking. So hopefully that's what we see moving forward. And I'm kind of hoping that the priorities of Chelsea are on other things, which aren't positive, but there is a definite cloud around Chelsea at the moment with regards to their owner. So maybe there's a bit of distraction that may, which you know potentially helps our cause a little bit where maybe players are a bit anxious about the situation around the club. Thomas Tuchel, the same, who knows, maybe... You know, at the elite level, if you're just off two, three percent, makes a huge difference. So hopefully, in our favour, obviously not on the circumstances of the world at the moment, but for Liverpool's sake, hopefully that means that there's a bit of a psychological edge there. We could be as well, but um, 
I think at the end of the day, once you walk out to Wembley, I think that all goes out the window. I, I think in the lead up, it makes a difference, and maybe their way they you know maybe approached. Yeah, your preparation. Uh, week, Chelsea in preparation, yeah, like you said. But uh, I think once you get into a cup final at Wembley, it just goes out the window. Unless it's a true David and Goliath battle, where you can kind of be very confident. Uh, I think these games are definitely won or, won or lost in the emotion of the cup final. Um, I know it's a League Cup, and people may think, well, people don't care about League Cup. Trust me, Klopp wants this bad. So, you know, and I want, I want to win it because it's been a while for us as well, domestically, to win a domestic cup. Um, but at the same time, Chelsea know that they haven't had their best year in the league and they need something to show for a season where they had a lot of promise to early on. And I feel like this is a good competition for them to do that in. So I do expect a very tough, highly, you know, not controversial, but highly entertaining cup final. Um, but yet again, if we get that first goal, I think we can run away with it. I feel like if Chelsea score the first one, they're a team that can sit there and, you know, nullify us a bit. And maybe we'll slog it out to find a goal. But if we in, if we get the first one, and Chelsea don't have to come out and try and find a second. Yeah, and then hopefully that space us, opens up. I can see up. us jagging a second and then that game finishing 2-1, 3-1, like you said. Yeah, so hopefully for us, that's that's the case. That's what we're, we're hoping for. Um, so... Some other big results this week, though. Um, we'll start off with Leeds because they've had a pretty, you know, average last, what, three games now. So United, they got slapped up. Then they got slapped up by us. And then they got slapped up again um, last night by Spurs. So Bielsa is no longer the man in charge. And I think it was the writing was on the wall from a long time ago. So it doesn't surprise me um, that they've made this move. I'm actually surprised they... They held on for as long as they did with him. Um, there was a clear drop-off this year after, you know, a great season, you know, last season. But we saw it with Sheffield the or last year too. You know, the year before they you know, almost finished in Europe and then they went down and they stuck with Wilder till you know, they were mathematically down. So I think it's one of those ones at the moment where Leeds are trying just to do everything to not fall out of the Premier League again, which makes sense because they spent so long out of it. I agree. Um, I feel for Bielsa in the sense that this year Leeds has been really, really hard to get out their best team. Yeah. You know, Calvin Phillips was missing, COVID, ravaged the squad. Um, but at the same time, I don't think his stubbornness and tactics has helped him. And there's sometimes as a manager where you've got to sit back and go, look, I just need to grind out some results. Look at like um, Sean Dyche at Burnley, which I'm not saying is the same situation because I do think he's been slightly unlucky in terms of how the hands have been dealt to him in terms of... Uh, COVID and the squad injuries. But Dyche has always been that sort of manager that goes, all right, I need to get the best out of my players, so I'll play this certain way, you know, and I'll play. And it's always slight changes to the Burnley system, but he always seems to get results. And Burnley, all of a sudden, have started playing some really good football, right? Yeah. Um, I think the second thing is for Bielsa and what's gone against him is the resurgence of Newcastle and how well they're coming about now. Um, and I think Leeds board has just kind of turned around and gone, we're getting slapped up left, right and centre. The system isn't working. We do not have the players that play this system anymore, which they do not because of the injuries and everything. They don't have Calvin Phillips screening. And because of that, Bielsa has just become a bit too stubborn like the modern manager is, which there is a good trait to that. You're building something under a team when there's a situation where you can build, but the relegation fight's not where you're building upon. Relegation fight turns into how do I stay up? What can I do to stay up? Um, and because of all that, he has to go. I feel for him a little bit. He should be regarded as a bit of a, you know, club legend by the time he's come out because of getting him up, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, the good first season he had there. And he's obviously a quality manager. Um, he could definitely go and manage a big club in Europe if he wanted to. Um, but I think he has led himself down this path of a bit of his tactic, especially playing out and how they try to defend, you know, with the uh, centre-backs following men and leaving spacing behind and the full-backs overcommitting. Especially me playing Liverpool, I was very shocked to see him play like that. And in the end, they gave us too much space, and they gave Spurs way too much space. Like their first goal they conceded last night was just yeah. how do you get for, both wing backs gets across to the other wing back it's in like, behind? No one, yeah, yeah, no one wants to track a runner. So you know, Luke Ayling gets caught every time, and I think that's just down to Bielsa's method of how he presses, how they go man manage. Even the second goal, no one even wanted to win the ball. Like Rente actually, yeah, Kulusevski, yeah, and it's just like. Understand Bielsa's big thing on every man has their man. You focus on that man, off you go. But yeah, I think the way you summed it up was perfect. Was that he's just been stubborn. He just when you get down to your fourth choice players in certain positions, you just can't expect them to perform at that same level. You need to find a way to 
to protect those guys and, and use the experience that you do have on the pitch. And look, the shining light for whoever comes in and there's, you know, rumours and, you know, we'll maybe leave it for now because nothing's been announced, I don't think, officially. But you just got to try and find a way to get Rafinha isolating against fullbacks. I think that's probably the only shining light that really's come out of Leeds' season this year and maybe a bit of the Joe Gerhardt, you know, showing some promise when Bamford's been out. But there's a lack of goals, there's a lack of creativity, there's a lack of defending, there's some big issues. And without Melier in goal, they'd be probably in the relegation zone. So big issues to, to pick up with over there with Leeds. Spurs briefly, um, pretty standard, up and down, back to front. <laughs> it just no, you just don't know what to get with Spurs. Like yeah. just, I, I backed Spurs in this week because it was Leeds, and I realised Leeds have just been in such poor form. Um, and in the end, I backed them in on fantasy, which has helped. I didn't expect um, three 0 Put it that way. Uh, well, I thought they would have conceded one. A fourth was brilliant as well. Humans oh, sorry, four 0 this week. So it was, right. it was nice to pick three that at half time. Um, but look, uh, Spurs are one of those slices, whatever. Conte for me is a guy that's just like, I've walked into an absolute shit show. Just uh, get me out of here. Like, a lot of his press conferences are like, if Spurs don't think I'm the right fit, I'm happy to leave. And it's just like, well, okay then. Yeah. It's like, why'd you come? There. That's the thing. It's like, why'd you yeah. join? Makes yeah, no like, sense. He had an idea, and Conte surely had an idea of how bad the project, well, not how bad the project is. Well, he would know because he got is. interviewed for it in the summer. So, like, he'd know exactly what the situation was, but obviously he didn't want to take the squad on. He needed, like, it sounds a bit weird, and I don't know if I'm articulating it well, but Nuno failing so quickly gave Conte no pressure, if that makes sense. Like, if Conte walks in and struggled straight away, then it's on him. But because Nuno couldn't get anything out of this squad first, it's like, oh, well, maybe the squad is that bad. That's the thing. You should know then as a coach that it's going to be that. And then he's like, you know, he's like, oh, this squad's no good. This squad's this. I'm yeah, he's been slating him heaps. Yeah, I don't just, like it, to be fair. I had a lot more respect for him pre this appointment. I like how he tells it how it is. But I also think that once you become a coach at a club, you want to be the coach in that club. You don't want to just like look the angle way out. Yeah, but imagine being a player in that dressing room and all you're hearing is they're not good enough. Like, there's ways to go about it. And I don't think, you know, we saw it with Jose at Man United when he was going after Luke Shaw for a very long time as well. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I get they've got a purpose behind it because it, it, maybe the way they're looking at it is they're trying to motivate, but I just don't think the modern player responds to that anymore. I think Premier League in the 90s and early 2000s, you could maybe call someone out in a press conference, but I don't think that's you know, beneficial anymore. I think we're past that. I think Jose does actually a really good job bar Luke Shaw because he usually tries to deflect performances yep. onto himself. Yep. Um, and that's quite smart. And he does, every antic you see from Jose in a press conference is planned, right? I don't... People just get that into your head. He does this on purpose to get it away from him, from his team and put it on himself. How many times did he do it at Chelsea? Yeah. So, um, but the Luke Shaw one, I think he was definitely trying to like get something out of Shaw. It just doesn't work. You need the right player to do that too, right? Some people respond really well to that, but there's a select few that have that mentality that can respond to that, and that's where you need to know your players. Yeah, I don't think they're now. built that way anymore like they used to. No. I think it's a t- it's a definitely an Italian thing, like coming from an Italian background. My old man was like that. The amount of times like, I would make like 60, 70 in cricket, and, he would, and I'd be like, oh, I had a decent day out, and he'd be like, you should have made 200. What are you doing? You know, make me like walk home and stuff, like basically, like just cop, cop it on the car ride home. But that's because he was trying to motivate me. That's like an old school Italian, like bread and wooden spoon, um, you know, sort of mentality. Like, you know, back when your grandparents, you get told off, you, you know, you're copping the wooden spoon. So that was your motivation to not do anything wrong. Hence why I probably turned out all right as a kid. But um, it's the same thing for Italian coaches. It's like, we will throw players under the bus because we demand a very, especially defensively, perfection in yeah. football. Um, and because of that, I think Conte is just throwing everyone in England in that Spurs squad under the bus, and they're probably not used to that. You know, I think if this was an Italian side that it was doing that with, a lot of people in Italy go, yeah, I, I like that, I understand that. But the fact that they're, you know, predominantly English at Spurs, the biggest player at Spurs is Harry Kane, who's English. Um, and there's not really too many Italians there, if any, at Spurs. Nah. That are gonna make gonna understand where he's trying to come from in terms of that sense being an Italian manager that likes to throw players under the bus at times to get motivation, get a spark. I could see it failing, and I feel like that Spurs side needs a little bit of 
And not, not, not like cotton wool around them, but need an arm around them to go, you know what, we're building something. You'll be all right. You'll be all right. You know, one of those things. Keep their hopes up. Because when they do go out there and play football, it's actually good to watch. Yeah, when they're firing and Kane's dropping in and Sun's running in behind and whether it's Lucas or someone else on the other side and, you know, they're defensively actually pretty solid when they're playing well and the fullbacks get moving. So... They are a good side. Like we've definitely seen that side of them. Like against Man City, you know, we saw what they can definitely do, but they just don't do it regularly enough. I almost see elements of what we were like early days under Klopp, when you don't have the squad, you know, particularly that maybe suits your system. Like yes, Nuno, like Nuno was known to play the three four three or three five two, but he didn't have the players, so he wasn't doing it with Spurs. Where Conte's kind of like just shoehorned his way into doing it anyway. So maybe, you know, if he gets a window where he gets a few players in and he starts, you know, trying to replicate that system at Chelsea, it wouldn't surprise me if you see them go after, you know, I'll put names out, but, you know, a really experienced centre-back to sit in the middle um, of, of a three of like Romero and Sanchez and, you know, they've got Royale on one side, Regulian on the other side, and, you, and maybe they need another goalkeeper because I just don't think Larice is at the level anymore, but... You know, you, you put a, a, a real experienced centre-back, you know, I'm not going to say it, but like a Benucci-type centre-back in the middle yeah. and then a good goalkeeper behind. And then instantly you're looking at that defence and you're going, crap, they actually look all right. And they can get up and down. Like right, Sessegnon as well. Is a, yeah, it's a good option Doherty. on the on the left. Doherty is a good option on the right. So, like, I don't think they're far away. I just don't like how Conte probably has gone about it. Yeah, whatever. I think and then trying to get players there. as well. He's been really yeah. aggressive in the in the media about saying that he hasn't been backed. Uh, and obviously, I, f- I feel like that must have been something that he was promised. Yeah, it must have been. Um, look, Levy's Levy. You, you know what you're going to get. So there we are. But look, there you go. At the end of the day, Bielsa's is gone. Spurs won. Spurs have been up and down. What game next you want to talk about, Paulie? Oh, I think there's only one we can really talk about. And it involves the title race because... Uh, the goal, how lucky a City and Michael Keane makes a big error on the goal line, but that's not the biggest talking point. City are just getting, they're just riding the luck. Like when we won the league, we obviously won it by a country mile, but everyone was complaining that we had the rub of the green with VAR a lot of the time. Yep. So maybe I won't go in as hard as I would have maybe this morning if we did this podcast after seeing everything. But I think back to the Arsenal game where Arsenal won you up and I thought Gabriel was harshly sent off for a second yellow on the halfway line and then there was a pretty soft penalty to get them the penalty that ended up winning the game for City and I feel like this Everton game was another you know episode of let's help City keep this alive because I I mean look end of the day Everton would still have to score the penalty that's not a given so we got to be mindful of that. But the fact that we're talking... I can't remember if we talked about this on the podcast or if I was speaking about this at school. I can't even remember anymore. I've had this conversation so many times. But when your arm is away from your body, it has to just be given. The fact that in which game was it? The red card for De Silva in the Brentford game against Newcastle. Yep. The referee goes to the monitor, looks at it, and then makes the decision. So he, that was the perfect implementation of... VAR, how can you like be speaking to the other referee for a minute and a half and then just trust his judgment? How can you not go and look at it again? Like it just shows that the referees have no bloody idea what they're doing because if you're de- if you're deliberating over it for a minute and a half, go and look at it again. What what's the problem with going to the monitor and remaking your decision based on what you see, not what someone else sees? I do not understand why the referees are scared to go to the monitor in the Premier League. It's the only league. It's it's I think it's a time thing for them. They don't like delaying the game so much. But if you've got to use VAR, use it properly. And what I don't understand is the process is in play that the VAR checks it, either deems it clear cut no or yes, which this one obviously wasn't for them, right? Deliberated. But once it gets to that stage, the next stage of the process is okay, can you go have a look? And make a decision. What do you think as the on-field referee? That's the decision we go with, right? Exactly. Why is the referee not at the ground? Why are they making the decision? You know what I mean? Like, 
It's just, oh, they're not making it. They're saying we think you've made the right. I guess that they must. Oh, this is the problem. We can't. We've, we've definitely said this. And I don't want to get into this debate again, but we've said that we need to hear what the conversation is because it must be something along the lines of we think you've made the right decision. So don't change. You know what I mean? That, that, that's the yeah. only conversation that I think could happen. I've got the other conversation, I think. We'll but it can't. You, get, you can't talk about it for a minute and a half and then say, oh, yeah, we think you're right. No, if you think you're right, you're going to say it straight away and you're not even going to stop play because the idea is they're meant to review it as play continues. So the only yeah. conversation they should be having is, hang on, we need to check this. We're looking at it right now. So that already means there's doubt. So yeah. oh, I don't... The referees in this league frustrate me so much. Every other co- like league, they go, we think there's an issue, go look at it. They don't even talk. You see, and they talk on the way to the screen. You know what I mean? Like, it's just, oh, they've got it so wrong. I don't understand how they've got it so wrong. Oh, look, the way it should work is as soon as they say, as soon as VAR goes, all right, we're checking it, it's straight away referee to the monitor, have the chat, and be like, this is what we see. What do you see? Yes, no, whatever, converse, whatever it is. And they both say, yep, in a different situation like the silver, it would have been like the way it should have worked and the way it nearly worked was be like, there's an incident here. We think you might need to look at this. Look. And as he's going to the screen, we I think you need to look at this for X, Y, and Z. It's yeah. high, it's this, it's that. Referee looks at it and goes, yes, I agree with you. No, I do not agree with you. If it's no, I don't agree with you because he says this, this, and that. And VAR goes, okay, I can live with that. You make your decision. And if it was a yellow card for the silver, that's referee saying no to VAR, right? But the referee's looked at the incident on the screen. And if he says no or yes, whatever, in the end of the day, the they're cool. Yeah. See you later. It's their call. Cool. That's what I don't get about this incident is I think the conversation's gone... It's inconclusive. We're not 100% sure, but I think you may have made the right call. I think that's what's been said. Yeah. Because if they can turn around after a minute and a half and say, no, you've made the right decision after that footage, I don't think that's the case. I think if they've gone, it's inconclusive, but we think you've made the right decision. Then the referee in the field goes, oh, because you've said that, I won't check it then. Yeah, it's so dumb. It should, it should be there. It, what it should be is there's an incident. Go look at have it. A look. And as it's going to have a look, they'll be like, all right, look, Cancelo's controlled it. It's come up. It's hit him armpit, arm. Yeah, what do you think? Area. We think there's it needs to be looked at. Our personal decision is either yes or no, right? It might have been no, it might have been yes. They wouldn't even have to now, give a decision, to be honest. Yeah. VAR shouldn't yeah. even put it in the ref's head. They should just go, we've seen this. Go look yeah. at it and reevaluate your decision and, te- and talk to us about your thought process. Yeah, and that's what it should be. <sighs> I think every referee loves putting in their their, their understanding. Now, look, for me personally, I couldn't understand how it wasn't given, right? In the modern day of the interpretation of the world, right, he has gone arm away from the body. No part of the chest area has touched the ball, so he hasn't controlled it into his arm. He's misjudged the balance of the ball, and he's now used his, you know, muscle area slash like... It's his forearm. Arm it's area. his whole yeah. arm. I'm looking at it right now. I'll send you a screenshot. It literally just came up on my, on my news feed as I was scrolling through. It is so blatant. I wish we I wish we did this on YouTube so I could put this screenshot on the screen. But yeah. it's like the whole ball has hit between his bicep and his wrist. Like yeah. it's just so dumb. Like it just. It's so it's so silly. Lampard like, put like, it perfectly in his press conference. You know what I mean? Saying that his yeah. daughter, who's three, could have picked it. And it's true. And like. What frustrates me the most about it is you see a lot less of a handball this year get given, or right? a shot that gets hit and they yeah. re- and it's they've got less time to react and it hits yeah. their arm because they've been lunging like they're lunging yeah. to make a challenge but and it hits their good. arm and it's given. You know yeah. what I mean? Like and then that one there, the ball's moving so slowly and it's no pressure and he still hits his arm. You know, like it's yeah. just. So it should, get, it should get pinned anyway because if, it, if you somehow handball it in that situation, even if you control it then into your hand, it'd be like, what are you doing? Like, how are you not as a professional footballer able to control that ball without using your arm? I don't even care if he then chest it into his knee, then hit his arm. Like, you deserve to just get caught for that. Your professional football. It's the fact that, that he's moved his hand out. Like, it's not like it was out and it struck it. He did it because he realised he made a mistake and he didn't realise he had no pressure on him. He's like, shit, there's someone behind me. I've just let this ball go. Yeah. And he stuck his arm out, which is a natural instinct. I get that. But the thing for me is, is like, look at our penalty against Leeds when we crossed the ball in. Robbo crossed it in. And I can't remember who it was. It might have been Frippo stretched his arm out, whatever. 
I feel for him there because back in the olden school handball, he's actually lunged the bottom of the cross and his arms come out by his side. Yeah. And because of that, it's a natural movement where the arm does go out. It does make you slightly bigger. The modern day rule, because the arm's away from the body, it's a pen right? every day and players don't complain. But back in like 06 in the Prem, that's not a penalty, right? Yeah. That's one of those ones we scream for handball and it'll be like, that's ball to hand, not hand to ball. When you look at this one, it, it, it could have been 1901, that's a penalty because it's hand the ball. Yeah. Right? So even in the old school rules, it's a pen. In the new school balls, it's not touched any part of his body. He's used his arm away from his body to touch the ball. Penalty. It's a penalty. Yeah. And then it's up to Everton to keep the gap closed <laughs> or by one point. Everton still have to score the penalty. I feel for Everton because in the first half, they probably could have been one or two goals up and City did not play well enough to jag that. And yeah. I think Pep knows that they did, they got lucky there. Because on a different day, Everton scored one or two. And now that might have spurred City into you know, spurred City into playing fifth, sixth gear Manchester City proper Pompey football, and maybe they turn it around, right? I don't know, but for me, the fact that the Premier League know that this title race is on the line, I think the referees have gone shit. This is a big decision in the context. If we get this wrong, it's an issue. So if we leave it. At least it doesn't affect too much because City are currently winning. I'm telling you right now, if City were one nil down, they would have given it. hundred percent. Likely right? in the Spurs game. Yeah, exactly. And if it was one all, they would not have given it because it leaves the game as it is. And if because they're one nil up, they've gone shit. I don't want to make a. I don't want to make a bad decision here. Right. Yeah. But it should just be you see what it is. Like, so is it more that the is it more the refs are scared to make a decision that might impact? The title, you know what I mean? Like, they don't want to then cop the scrutiny of the cost, like, whether it's City or not, like, it doesn't matter who it is. Even if it's at the other end and it's at a relegation end and it's two relegation teams playing, it means one team goes up and down. It is. is. Everton Everton don't get a point there. Newcastle won or whatever. They're now semi getting into trouble. Yeah. So for them, it's a relegation problem. Good point. Yeah. So for me, it is. Like, because if Everton get a point there, that's massive. That's two points. Instead a of swing. three points dropped. Yeah. Especially with Newcastle winning. You know, Watford got a point against United. Because yeah, everyone around him actually got points. Burnley. Yeah, oh, no, sorry, Burnley so lost, like, sorry. For, for Lampard, he said it perfectly in his thing. Screw the title fight. What about us? We're in a relegation battle. Yeah. You know, and that's what it's there for. It's for the howler, really. And that's a howler. Yeah. At that level, it should not happen. The reason I'm getting so frustrated isn't because Liverpool and title race. It's because if that happened against any other team bar Manchester City... I honestly think penalty gets given. But because it's City and because they're leading the Premier League, they get the rubber degree. And that's what I don't like. And if at the end of the day, Everton don't win enough games and go down by a point, they'll look at that and go, that's the decision that cost us. Now, me being a Liverpool fan, great, Everton going down, ha, 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 ha. But to go down like that, like... Yeah, you'd, allowed, you'd like be sim- yeah, sympathy. It wasn't a goal with Villa like a couple of years ago because the technical difficulties with uh, goal line technology shouldn't really happen in this modern day and age. Yeah, I know. But that's, you know, end of the day, that's the card you get dealt. There's 38 games and you got to scratch one out, really. That's all it is, isn't it? Like, it's just, it's, it disappo- it's disappointing because it's the most watched league. It's the most engaging top to bottom, but such a fundamental problem. We could probably do a whole podcast on the refereeing in England, honestly. Well, we but could, We could. We might save that for after <sighs> the Premier League's done. I'm just going to say one last thing on it. Swings and roundabouts happen in football. Things equal out. Would not surprise me if there's a big decision in the Liverpool game that could go either way. And because the Premier seen that, it may fall Liverpool's way. That's all I'm going to say about that. Yeah. Anyway, we'll leave it at that. Um, otherwise, we keep going on. Arsenal, uh, they played Thursday. Uh, sorry, Friday our time um, in the last match week. And, you know, I was not convinced post January uh, with Arsenal because I thought they, they've done well to clear the wage bill but I thought they left themselves short but they're just finding ways to get points they've beaten Wolves twice left it to the to the death um, on on Friday um, but they're playing a brand that's entertaining like they're not it's not the same Arsenal and I think them starting to really find an identity now which is massive under Arteta, which is positive because it good. It's been funny for a few years, and then it got sad with where Arsenal ended up down in you know relegation zones for long periods of time, and then you know eighth really the last couple of seasons. So to see guys like Emil Smith Rowe and Saka and Martinelli and 
Lacazette even looking good now. And the midfield is probably where they're a bit thin. But when uh, Xhaka and Party play together, it's normally pretty solid. I think your question in our little run sheet, Damo, they're probably the team now that I back in that top four run-in because I can't back Spurs. Man United just can't get a win to save their lives in the Premier League. And who else is there? West Ham don't fill me with confidence either. So it's kind of like if Arsenal just keep plotting along, keep picking up points, playing once a week now, why not? I think that that is a fair statement, and I would agree with that. I think Arsenal have built well, look good, but more importantly, and I know this is a big call, having a world-class goalkeeper in net is huge. And I'm telling you right now, Aaron Ramsdale should be England's number one. I know Pickford's a good keeper, but ah, Ramsdale's the, better. Things that, the things that guy does. He just makes scary. the unbelievable save. Yeah, and look, he's scary. And I, apparently, like, listen to, I listened to Ben Fox, Ben uh, ben Foster podcast there, and he, they had David Seaman on recently. And apparently Seaman goes into work with him a couple, uh, you know, couple of sessions a week, right? And apparently, according to Seaman, the things he sees him do and how dedicated he is, is huge. And you know when a keeper's a different level of gravy with the saves he makes, but on top of that, it's the distribution. He just looks calm. You look at Loris, for instance, every time he gets a back pass at the minute, Spurs look shaky, right? And there's passes like behind people towards the corner flag, etc. You look at Addison down the other end, it all starts with distribution being amazing. Then as a slot stop, especially in the one-on-one, he has that spread. You look at Edison, everything builds upon being able to hit a 60, 70 meter pass on a dime and being able to make the big save. Ramsdale's got all of that for me. And for me, that's the biggest difference. They brought him in, he caught slack. He looked at his defense and said, look, I'll bail you out until you guys get to know each other. And now they've known each other. They know they have a keeper. If it does go wrong, it's going to back them out. And they know they can play out because the keeper distribution is good. And he can find that second, third line ball. Since then, Arteta's got great. That's sorted. Let me focus on what goes on further forward. And now that he's got that, the click, here's the identity. I think it all starts from that man in goals. Yeah. I think that, like, for me, they're probably a quality centre-back, another quality midfielder and a striker. I think the spine's still the problem long-term. Um Obviously, Lacazette's leaving at the end of the season on a free, which, again, frees up big money on their wage bill, which is probably a positive. Um, you can't rely on party Xhaka if you're going to be in Europe because it's just, you know, that they're going to get themselves sent off or they're going to get accumulation yellow card suspensions or injuries. You know, once you drop away from those two, you're looking at Sambi Lakonga, who I think is a quality, you know, potential player, but he's not there yet. And then there's nothing. And then you're looking, you know, at centre-back, you're looking at Gabriel, and then you're looking at Ben White, who, again, more potential than what we've seen. But who else is there? So the depth is the worry. So whilst things are are good now for Arsenal because they're not having to play as much, they can get away with it. But when you're starting to look at domestic cup runs in Europe and Premier League, then they're not there yet. So... I still think they're probably two windows away from being like two, like summer, sorry, two, yeah, summer windows away because it's rare to get deals done in January. So I still think they're two big transfer windows away from getting the squad where they want it. Yeah, I agree. But the the ideas there and the fact they've backed Arteta, maybe, you know, we thought wrongly at the time has yeah. come to fruition. Yeah, I'd agree um, with that. And look, credit where credit is due. He's got... In a couple of players, that's helped him change the mentality there. And he's got in guys into the team that want to play for Arsenal, like Smith, Rose, Saka, Martinelli. I've got to keep getting young guys. Got yeah. to keep getting young guys that are hungry, that want to play, that respect that's Arsenal, the and then build them up. You can't try and fast track it with your Williams again. You know what I mean? Like those experienced guys that don't that are there for a paycheck. You can't if they've made that mistake long enough, they cannot do it again. They have to just Bite it, play the kid, like buy kids and play them and build your team around, let them develop all together. And then it's almost like football manager. If you can yeah. build the team around a core of players, then you're going to be laughing. They're going to be absolutely That's laughing. That's what they slowly have done, though, this season, which has been yeah. I don't mind them getting the one or two experienced players in, but it has to be the right person, someone that actually fits, wants to be at Arsenal, wants to lead a team, you know? Yeah. So. Uh, I don't know who that's going to be. I'm not going to name names. So it'll be interesting to see who that will be. Whoever's available. Next window. Yeah. 
But um, I think that they have to definitely keep going this down this, you know, way of like anyone that's a, you know, under, you know, 23 or younger that wants to play for Arsenal Football Club, come in and show us why you want to play. You know, and like they recruited decently well with Ben White at the back as well. So, you know, credit where credit's due. Yeah, exactly. So I think title race heating up, top fours heating up, relegations heating up. There's plenty to look forward to in the Premier League. That's the oh, exciting it's great. bit. It's got to be crazy, especially the relegations, especially the results that happen with Burnley, Newcastle and Watford. And then Brentford finding their way down there as well now. So, you know, you add another team to the mix. Watford looking okay. Norwich are kind of stumbling a little bit again after looking okay for a stretch. So, yeah, I think Norwich are done. They're probably the one team that I just don't think gets out of this. I think Watford, if they can string a run of games, they've got quality there if they can get players fit. But they're probably too far as well. I think it's sort of your plan for that last spot now. We've got Watford off just yet because they do have a couple games in hand and if they won a couple of them, then that would be huge. Yeah. And you just don't know what they're going to do under Roy. It's going to be close. It's going to be, no matter whatever happens, it's going to be a very close title race this. Yep, exactly right. So, big news as well um, outside the Premier League is venue of the Champions League final um, obviously had to change. Uh, was, Was planned to be in Russia. Given the circumstances, uh, it's now moved to Paris. So, as a supporter of a team that you know may potentially be in the final, I'd much rather play in Paris anyway than in Russia. To be perfectly honest, in in you know perfect circumstances, let alone what, what the situation of the world is right now. So, I reckon if you're a player of a team in you know that main part of Europe, that western part of Europe, you'd be jumping for joy that you're. In Paris, you know what I mean. Like, I think you get more of your fans there as well, and probably better atmosphere. So, obviously, I'm not going to celebrate the, the the reasons why that change has had to to be uh, announced. But as a player, I'd like to think you're probably not relieved, but you're probably a bit more excited at the prospect of playing in, in Paris than in, in Russia. Oh, I would agree, and like it's just the helps for more of those sides that are probably going to get there anyway to get fans, like I said, over, and you know probably be a bit more comfortable in terms of where you're going as well. Um, look, obviously, I don't like the reasons why this has happened. Uh, we don't need to speak about those reasons in terms of like a political sense or whatever. But in a sporting sense, I think we've seen UEFA make a you know logical and smart decision, which sometimes they don't make, which is good. Yep, and then. Football-wise, that's probably about it um, at the moment. There's nothing else that really jumps out to me. Um, I must say, I was watching um, quickly Blackburn and QPR last night, and although it ended up 1-0, um, it was a very, very entertaining game. I'm not going to lie. I turned off the Spurs yeah. game at halftime. Yeah. And championship I was, throws that in. Yeah, oh. so those two higher-end championship teams too. They're two teams pushing for promotion, so... You know, that made it a lot easier to, to watch, I think, than um, other games potentially in the league. But well, what, what, was the, what was the reason why you're watching that, uh, that game for? Any particular mm, reason? Yeah. Um, we profited from that one a little bit. We don't need to go into too many details about that. but <laughs> Yeah, we did, didn't we? That was yeah. Good so if, yeah. if you can read between the lines, then uh, yeah. you'll definitely know about it. So yeah. very, very nice. Anything else you want to touch on before we go into some questions? I do. Um, I think there's just a couple of things because I'm a Formula One nut. Just to, for people that want their Formula One fix and know that I'm massively into it, is the Russian GP is officially gone. They're looking for new venues for that. Obvious reason why that is gone. Um, credit to Formula One for making a logical decision there. But, um, you know, there'd be a few nice spots where it, it could go. Um, I personally would love to see it go back to Germany if they can get the money up, but wait and we'll see. Um, but testing obviously has been and gone in Spain. Um, they called it a shakedown, not a proper test. Proper testing's in Bahrain in two weeks before the GP a week later that the teams will have a final proper testing. Um, and just a few things to take out of it. Ferrari apparently looks massively quick, which it did, which is huge. The McLaren in the first two days of testing was quickest, um, I think, or like up there as well. I think the Ferrari was quickest with the McLaren. Um, but more importantly, it does look like Mercedes went 100% but did well. Red Bull did okay. But what I'm trying to say is my early prediction for Formula 1 is you will see a Ferrari, you will see a McLaren, you will see a Mercedes, and you will see a Red Bull win a race this year, which is huge, which is, means but finally, with these new rule changes, which uh, there was a lot out of testing saying that drivers can drive closer to cars now without it you know, making their performance worse, which is great. 
is what the new rules needs to, was to do, means that we're going to get a very open and a very, uh, you know, interesting F1 season. Unlike last year, it was just two teams. A bit more like 2010. Yeah. Guys start taking each other off the road. Guys in a lesser car might win the championship, like Alonso probably should have in 2010 when Reber gave it away and then Vettel went to cover them all off and got it wrong and then no one decided to want to win that race. Uh, yeah, they need yeah, another yeah. good season. They need a tight season again, I We're think, stuck, just for fan interest. Easier. Yeah. It's the first uh, year with a new formula too, isn't it, this year? Yeah, it is. Yeah, so, I, new rule changes. Yeah, it always throws up. In the cars. It always throws up some different challenges the first year of a new system because teams are trying to figure out what to exploit. So it always means it's either big, big blow ups or you know what I mean. Like there's always drama yeah. that comes around so new not, formula. I think there's gonna be. I think there's gonna be plenty. I think Hamilton's really focused. So expect to see the best Lewis Hamilton for a long while. I think Hamilton's had a couple of these titles where he just knows he's gonna win it, um, which obviously understandable. I think. Ferrari have got two good drivers and a really good car. Yeah. And the McLaren under Norris looks amazingly quick. But if you're an Aussie fan, these rule changes helping Ricciardo get, you know, more confidence into braking later and getting more downforce into the car to help with these braking issues that he's had with the yeah. McLaren in his first season. So that's a massive big in for McLaren as well. And another so, bit of confidence uh, in the car too. Yeah. That's the next one yeah, for Danny. Yeah, which is huge. So I, I'm just going to put out early prediction that those four teams are going to win a race, one race each. I still think the Red Bull's probably the team to beat, even though they didn't look... They, have, oh, they had a pretty good testing, but not amazing testing. We'll know more in two weeks with the next pair of testing. But um, this time of race may be a bit more open than what people think there. Yeah, I'm excited. And Drive to Survive's out in a couple of weeks as well, so that's always I'll good fun. Watching that all in one day. Alrighty. So, a couple questions that have come through. I can we'll start with JS's. So, fantasy Premier League question. When should I wildcard on FPL? Look, I'm at the point where if you're not pushing for a super, super high rank, probably doesn't really matter at this point. You know what I mean? Like, if you're not hunting down inside top sort of 100,000, which I'm not at the moment. I am making strides. I started pretty slow this year. Um... I don't think it really matters at this point. I think you need to kind of look at what team you want to build if you've got names in mind and look when all the fixtures line up exactly. So, I mean, I'm not a fantasy researcher or aficionado when it comes to fantasy, so I haven't looked that far ahead because I'm not too bothered. I'm pretty happy with the team that I've got anyway. Um, But if you do care, then I'd be definitely looking at players that you're thinking that are making you want to wildcard and seeing what their fixtures look like. And yep. if that run starts to happen soon, what game week are we in? We're in the third we in the thirties yet? Yeah. yeah. So we're going into game week thirty. Yeah. So you're probably starting to look at it now as well to get you sort of eight weeks out of it. So you know, you could probably start looking as of probably next week to be fair, if you know who you want. Uh, no, we're in game week twenty seven, twenty eight right. next week, then twenty nine. All right, so yeah, we've got plenty of time. Because uh, for me, JS, I'm, in my head, I always plan my moves in advance. I plan a free hit this week, plan to wildcard in, in game week 30. I'll tell you why that is. And then have a bench boost in week 36 because that's the last of the double game weeks. Um, where Paul is, you know, fighting for, you know. I just need points. For fun. Um, Paul knows that I've had a serious shot of, like, doing some pretty incredible things in FM, um, fantasy this year, which is good. Um, for those that don't know, I'm currently, as it stands, inside the top 30k in the world, inside the top 500 or 600 in Australia, and with the points difference, so like the top 10 in Australia, it's like 80 points for me. So yeah, I'm nine and a half thousand for for reference in Australia. Yeah, so I'm I'm taking it really seriously. I free hit it this week, but the reason why I wanted to say game week 30, that's the fixtures when then Chelsea play all that run that they had in the middle of the season where they like played like a heap of the lower league sides, the lower rated teams. Um, so for me, I'm game week 30 because the fixtures swing. Spurs got a good run of fixtures, like a proper good run of fixtures, even though they're okay. Um, and United and Leicester go on some decent fixtures runs as well. So what was your said, what was your Australia um, rank? Uh, 567 or 467. I so right now. I'm 9,000 behind you, right? Yep. And there's 120 points between us. Yeah, so I'm 80 points away from the <laughs> That's mental. Like, it's not, there's not much in it. You know what I mean? Like, that's the crazy thing. Like, it's one or two poor decisions or one or two real good decisions. Or maybe not two, maybe three or four that can claw you from 
like 9,000 spots. Yeah. You know what I mean? That is crazy. Last week was huge. Yeah. And you got away from me. So I would have made Kyle's closer. And I'm still going up. And obviously you've got up too. But yeah, I've got, I've I've had a really good week this week with my freaky. I'm like 70 points and the average is like 27. Yeah. Um, But like, that's what I would aim, JS. If you're not going to do it in game week 30, um, game week 36, uh, there's a double game week. If you don't have a bet, if you don't have a bench boot, let's do it then. Wild card in every player that has a double game week, and then ride the last two games weeks of the season. Because in that game week, if you have everyone on the double game week playing, you will outscore a lot of people. If that's what you're planning on to, I know for you, JSU, you've got like four hundred thousand in the world. You're trying to get to the top one hundred thousand. That's when I would structure it. Yeah. All right. So Dim asked a couple of questions for us as well. Early A League winner predictions. I'll I'll jump in on this one. I think Western Melbourne just looked too good with games in hand as well. Um, good squad top to bottom. Haven't really dropped too many silly points throughout the season. I think they just look the business. Yeah. I reckon Western United look unbelievable. So. Wouldn't surprise me if it's them and victory in the grand final because Tony Popovich just finds a way as well with big games. Yeah, that's true too. Um, I think you can't rule out Melbourne City. I don't make much of MacArthur. Nah. I know that they snapped and up Sydney. And, you know, you know, whatever. Sydney are one of those sides that if they make it, they're as dangerous. I just don't think they're as good as they have been. They're, they're, their team's still very similar to the team that dominated four years ago. You know what I mean? Like, it's just yeah, it's, it's getting a bit old, old now. Yeah. yeah. I saw them in person um, and we shouldn't have lost to them. Uh, look, I will say this, Dim, and I know you asked this question because I think Adelaide might have No, nah, we're not winning it. Uh, I don't think we're winning. I think we're a bit too young. The only thing I will say that goes in Adelaide's favour is for some reason this year, we found a way to score in the 91st minute a lot, so... Eight or nine times, I've said, like, in the last 10 minutes or something this year. Yeah. That's mental. It's because we've got good young kids and we've got a heap of explosive pace off the bench. Yeah. That's the reason. It's good, though. Like, that, it shows that the team isn't isn't just throwing it away. Like, to score equalisers and winners late is not easy. Like, it's just... That's the promising thing. Like, you know, at the start of the season, we were talking about United probably finishing bottom. You know what I mean? Like, we, we thought we were in a real tough spot because we thought we're going to have to rely on some kids. We've made some really good signings. So getting Hiroshi up front, getting Zach Clough in to replace Mork now, I think it's an upgrade anyway. Getting Lockie Brook back, like they're all moves that we weren't anticipating, you know, at that point. So yeah, I think United have recruited well. It's mostly been to replace players that have left as well. That's the other thing. So yeah. obviously we lost Ben Halloran, but I think getting Lockie Brook in is probably an upgrade. Um, Nesta coming into the squad, Mo Toure yeah. taking another step. Like there's, there's been things that we didn't anticipate going yeah. better than we thought, you know, as well. So that's the other thing. I and think defensively we're, yeah. we're struggling though. Uh, I just wonder if you want to touch on it. It's not like it's the experienced players that are scoring these uh, 90th minute goals, by the way. It's yeah, Mo and Nesta. A couple of weeks ago, Neshri scored two. Mo's got a couple as well. Mo's got a couple, and that's good for the development of the young kids, and that's probably what we're about. I know this question's asked because you're a pretty big Adelaide United fan, Dim. Like we all are. As we both yeah. are, yeah. Yeah, but um, I don't think we can win it. If we won it, it would be the most like fairy tale run. Like There's a lot of things that would have to go right. More fairy tale than when we actually have won it. Yeah, you know what I mean? Like we only won it once. Which is pretty fairy tale to be fair. Yeah, but we went on a run where we looked unstoppable. Like this would be putting a run together in the finals. But, you which know, for me and that. Adelaide, we're not a big market team. That's the thing. Like for like for me, the success is seeing guys like McGree go to England and whatnot, you know, like it's yeah, seeing those guys and Goodwin, you know, Goodwin, it's a bit frustrating because he's come and gone a few times, but... Seeing those guys develop, build, and then leave and, and make something of themselves, even the way Leckie did in Germany. I know yeah. he's back in the league now, but he hasn't been back for bloody 10, 12 years. So. Mabil's the biggest one that's come for it. Oh, yeah, that's a good shout-out too, actually. He's playing Champions yeah. League still. So, yeah. you know, that's where, as an Adelaide United supporter, you go, that's what we're about is just developing kids. And if we can keep – and that's why I like Viet at the moment as well because he's prioritising these guys that are – here in South Australia, he's giving them a chance first, and then if we do need to tap into the market, he does. So even he said that the new captain is going to be a South Australian, which is probably going to be Goodwin. Like it's not rocket science, but no. if it's not Goodwin, it's Kiddo. So it's you know like two guys that we've seen that are capable of wearing the armband and have worn the armband. So that's what's exciting for me is that there is a connection there with the club and into oh, the community, which is great for a small community like ours. Yeah, that's just good bit of business from uh, the Adelaide board to get 
a man in and Kyle Vitt, who's obviously played at the club, but more importantly, he's come through the NTC development program, was coaching NTC 18s. Yeah. There's a lot of these kids as well when he came in on board. So I think it's just, it's, it's yeah, nice it's good, to good decision from we've our board. Us, we've gone slightly away from who the winner is, but that's a bit of Adelaide United to it. The winner's going to be Western United or Western Melbourne, however you want to yeah. play it. But um, for now, you know, it might change in a few weeks' time. Exactly. COVID and injuries make things very interesting in sport at the moment. And yeah, second part of Dim's question is Australia-Pakistan preview. I'm just going to go out on a limb and say I really don't care. Um <laughs> I I sort of switch off. I'm not gonna lie, I switch off when it's not summer. Um, with the cricket, um, footy sort of takes over for me. So my mind's my mind's already on the preseason for the AFL more so than caring about some tour in the subcontinent. That's not really gonna mean much for for us. The probably the, the positive for me will be how many games does Mitch Swepson get, and can we start developing him as the successor to Gaz? Um, that's probably the one thing that I'd care the most about. Uh, look, for me, Dim, this is just a precursor to India. We looked at India, the Indian uh, tour over there. This is us trying to get some games in what we can. It's nice to be back in Pakistan. been a long time since there's been... Actually, a that's a really there. good point. Yeah. Um, Usman obviously going back home to play. There's something nice in that as well. Um, will I get up to watch it? No. No. I like, I'll fall asleep to it because I'm a bit more of a cricket nut than what Paul is. Like, I'll, go, I'll go on and I'll fall asleep to it. But... Um, we should win this, but, you know, it's a subcontinent. Anything can happen. Under new management as well. That's the other thing. But Oh, it's not going to have a new coach until after this series. So McDonald's oh. going to get his shot oh, God. to give a... Give a uh, Part of the reason coach. why I'm not watching it as well, to be fair. Uh, look, if Langer was in charge, I'd watch this a little bit more intently. And, you know, we've spoken about this in the past, so it doesn't need to be spoken about again. But, uh, yeah, yeah look, good luck, Australia. That's all I'll say. All righty. Thank you, Damien. Another big week. Big episode. Yeah, as always, mate. Always look forward to these. They are absolutely amazing. And, you know, next time we're back, it could be another set of results in the Premier League and the title race and the relegation race looks completely different. So Exactly. So make sure, guys, you jump in the stadium, which will be in the description of this podcast. Let us know what you guys are thinking about the Sunday night Australian time uploads as well. I think this is probably going to be the new norm so hopefully you enjoy this and for those that are watching or listening in europe this actually might be better for you because you'll get it sunday instead of sunday night so um or monday morning so hopefully this suits everybody a bit better it suits me probably more so um but also demo as well now with your new role too i think the weeknights are going to be a bit harder for us to have the same energy as, as we have in the past um yeah on the weeknight so hopefully we can be all accommodating for the little shift in schedule so once again from me thank you guys so much for all your support make sure you tune in next sunday for episode 45 we're approaching episode 50 damn it's coming around the corner it's getting there really really close but it just shows that we've done a good job poorly and uh, the support has been what's allowed us to get this far without your support we wouldn't have got to this many episodes so thank you yet again guys exactly right so once again thanks guys and we'll see you next week for episode 45 of the pd sports podcast <laughs>